Libby writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Sunday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast powered by Twisted Tea. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg. We talked about the Rebels' blowout loss to Georgia in Athens, what it means as far as a measuring stick and where the program is, some big picture stuff regarding Lane Kiffin roster building, where the team goes from here from a health standpoint, and of course, the news of Jimbo Fisher's firing at Texas A&M and a couple other openings in the SEC, namely Arkansas and Mississippi State, that seem obvious to come open. And now that affects Kiffin and the silly season cycle as it has arrived once again. So a lot in this podcast, a lot to discuss. Buckle up. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to seaspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. Seaspire customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, the advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You got a month left of football season, college football season, regular season, that is. Maybe you're behind. Use Skybox. They're the professionals. They hit and make money every single year. Don't get into a hole by going off your own leads 15 minutes before kickoff. Go sign up for Skybox. They're the professionals. It's all based off math. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. You can try a picks package a day, a week, a month. You got college basketball starting on Monday night. That is their bread and butter. They absolutely crush it in college basketball every year. You can try sports-specific. You can go all sports. I recommend going the year-long all-access pass. It'll pay for itself and then some. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com, the best sports handicappers in the world. You sign up, you get a color-coded spreadsheet categorized by unit, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Go online today, get your picks package, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Okay, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. He is back from Athens, and I just learned as we signed on here, playing hurt a little bit under the weather, to put it mildly. You got sick in transit to the game, it sounds like. Yeah, um, you can tell by my voice, I'm probably like 75% right now. Um, Friday night, I got an ear infection, like a six-year-old child. <laughs> uh, after getting off the plane from Houston to Atlanta, my left ear was like completely shut and had to go to urgent care in Atlanta after midnight to get uh, a steroid and a Toradol shot uh, just to be able to make the trip to Athens the next day because I was – I was yeah. I was done. Like there was a good chance, like I was just gonna sit in this Atlanta apartment and like not go to the game if I had not gotten two shots in my ass to uh, make me feel better. Of course, you know it was worth it, I guess. But the game was so so. 
Yeah. So how does that work? Obviously, I imagine when you get to Atlanta, I mean, you know, you're probably not feeling right, but how do you how do you ultimately land on a decision to go get a needle in your butt at midnight at an Atlanta urgent care? Like at what point we're like, I've got to go do something late at night about this to ensure tomorrow is not disastrous or to ensure tomorrow happens. Well, we were at dinner with some friends, some almost friends in Atlanta, and I am just like texting my wife, just complaining like 24 seven, like I am miserable. I'm terrible. Like this, something is like really wrong here. Like, I don't know what's going on. And she's like, well, why don't you stop bitching and go to a doctor? Like, I will look at some, look some up for you. So we're looking some up and it's Veterans Day weekend. So a lot of these other like little urgent care places are are closed and this is at like 10 o'clock it's not like it's that late and finally we found some place like right across from the cnn building that was like a 24 7 uh kind of like a emergency care dental care and something else it was like crazy place there's nobody there except for me so it actually like wasn't that long of a process but i basically told the people they were like there's no we don't take insurance here like everything's cash payment uh and i was like look i and not a doctor. I have a lot of issues right now. My throat's killing me. My ear, I can't hear out of it. I don't care what it costs. I need as many shots as you can give me legally. I need however many pills you can prescribe me that will not kill me so that I can go to this game in Athens tomorrow. And then she's like, what do you want a COVID test? I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) No, thank you. I don't, I don't need to know the truth behind this whole issue. Um, and she was actually incredibly helpful and very nice. And uh, so shout out to that urgent care on Centennial in downtown Atlanta. That uh, that certainly sounds adventurous. I'm glad you're able to stick it out and make it. Shout out to the uh, cash only urgent care, just selling drugs late at night uh, so people can get from Atlanta to Athens. I had texted you pretty late last night I'd, after I'd wrapped up with the post game show with uh, Chase, Neil and Jeffrey. And I always enjoy doing this podcast. I would say. There are some days more than others as far as like my excitement level to like dive in the conversation. And for whatever reason, I was pretty, pretty fired up about this one because I think for a number of different reasons, I think the game, what it meant in the larger context, like I imagine this would be one where we don't talk about, you know, what happened for the four quarters nearly as much as we talk about kind of the abstract and the big picture. This is also kind of the time of year where you start putting in, you know, weeks, months, the entire season in the context and what it means. And I thought last night was a very telling uh, game as regard to everything I just laid out. There's also some stuff around the SEC. We're kind of getting into that crunch time. I guess yeah. we'll start with the game itself, though. Ole Miss loses Jalen Williams, uh, excuse me, Jaden Williams very early in the game. So now they're without both tackles. They go down and score. They always go down and score. I, they could yeah. have me out there playing left tackle and they'd have probably still found a way to score. Once it got to 14 to seven Georgia and they were at like 20 something yards of play, not even close to facing a third down. I thought Ole Miss was in serious trouble and the game quickly unraveled after that. I know Ole Miss got it to 14, 14, but at that point I was like, I'm not so sure this is going to go well for them. When did you reach that point? Um, well, my brother and I were up there and we're watching. We, honest to God, we kind of reached that point. Uh, exactly when you said when it was 14 7 Georgia. Um, we had like kind of, I mean, we were like the first row of the top level, so we had a pretty good like all 2020, all 22 view. And we both were like, I mean, they're not, it's a non competitive defensive effort right now. And it really was for like the entire game. And we basically come to the agreement that we're going to have to play LSU perfect on offense to even keep this close because they are not touching 
Beck, they are not within 10 yards of receivers. Um, credit to Bobo. I mean, the motions, every – I mean, they were getting every look they wanted. And once they had that three and out after it was 14-14 and it was broken serve again, it was like this is just not going to end well. And then it was 28-14 and then they threw the interception. And then Kirby with an all-time fumble going into the second half was like, okay, there's some life here. But it just never felt competitive. Um, and it, honestly, I don't know how it looked on TV. I didn't even bother to go look, rewatch the game before doing this, which I guess is my fault, but there's not really much to it. Uh, it, w- it looked way – it had to have looked worse in person. It was just no no chance of making negative plays in that game. I, I can't even think of a better way to explain it. It was just a non-competitive defensive effort, which was honestly – pretty surprising considering how they have played recently it was also the first game this is the first game this year that i have not gone back and watched some part of the game a second time i just didn't really feel there was much of a need to and it was the same thing on television it was very clear early on that Ole Miss on the defensive side of the ball was losing the line of scrimmage it wasn't just the you know they're bigger more physical more talented on offense it was a scheme thing too and i think some of that was underscored by you know, Georgia would have a little leak out play or a check down and the check down would go for, you know, 25, 30 yards. It seemed yeah. like Ole Miss was very much on their heels and very much guessing as to what to do while also losing the battle in the trenches up front, which is a pretty lethal combo. And that's what I was going to ask you next is this is debated about where Ole Miss is talent wise versus where Georgia is talent wise. From a defensive standpoint, did you think it was more so just they're much more talented or was it a bad plan? Clearly it was a com- combination, but I'm curious what you thought st- stood out more. It's it's difficult to say. Um, I give a lot of credit to Georgia for the way that they schemed up this offense for this Ole Miss defense, the way that their game plan went. Uh, they really spread it out. They, uh, they did not just go under center and run power and ISO and, and zone. I mean, they were all over the place. They were moving players left and right. And the Ole Miss defense just throughout all of it was just completely confused. And I think once they added Mims back and once Bowers was announced to play, I think Ole Miss and Golding kind of their game plan, which I, I get was basically we can't put too much pressure on Beck because we don't trust anybody to be able to be one-on-one with Bowers. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to trust our defensive line and linebackers to make as many plays as they can and to hold off some of the playmakers on Georgia, basically, to try to get pressure with four and then kind of double Bowers and see what we can do in the back end. And it didn't work. It just simply did not work. It was a bend, don't break, and they broke for the first four possessions of the game for touchdowns. They were not close. Um This Georgia offense, when they are clicking and have everyone healthy, is as good as any offense in the country. Beck, when he's got no pressure on him, is accurate. He's athletic. He was wildly impressive in this game. Uh, McConkie doesn't get enough credit for the player that he is. He's an NFL guy, and he was making DBs look pretty silly all night. Um, and then, I mean, their offensive line just created, I mean, they were on the attack all night. They were, you know, just really pressing tempo. They were really taking it to Ole Miss for every, almost every single possession, except for whatever the hell Kirby was doing on that last drive of the, of the first half. And I think it's obvious that, you know, there's a personnel difference. There is a talent difference between these two, these two teams that I think 
we knew, but maybe didn't know to the extent. And I think we've now gotten a sample size of what this Ole Miss defense is to this point. You know, when they play elite personnel, they are outmatched. When they play personnel that they are equal to or better than, they can be a really good defense. Um, and that just completely showed uh, last night. I mean, it was it was really rough. It was honestly getting to a point where I was talking to Sam and was like, I think we're getting close to an Alabama 2020 where Georgia somehow, some ways able to get every single available yard in the game, which I don't know if you know, happened in 2020 against Alabama. They were stopped zero times and got every single available yard. They were on pace for that until that interception at the end of the first half. It's which is nuts to think about. Yeah, it felt like that game in 2020. Honestly, I had like flashbacks of 2018 uh, crime dog McGriff. Um, you know, uh, when Woody, whoever, whatever his name was that at Kent state put up 35 and a half, I was like, it's getting oh, to that yeah. point. Oh, like, yeah. so, so, so it was some pretty lean year, pretty lean years for the Ole Miss defense there. And so you're, you're right. It's, it's, it's a, it's a mix of both. And then I admittedly was a little bit busy on Thursday and Friday. So I would say I was a little bit checked out in terms of like, kind of looking at some last minute storylines, regarding the game, I was pretty surprised to turn on the television and see Bowers out there running around and the open and the broadcast talk, talking about like how great he looked and how great he felt and whatever he the procedure is to fix high ankle sprains. That was a bit of a shock to me. I thought if he did, it may be a decoy, but he he looked, I know he was on a pitch count, but he looked pretty healthy. And at that point I was like, okay, that changes the whole conversation because like I, I went into this whole last couple of weeks talking about this Georgia game, thinking they wouldn't have Brock Bowers. When I saw a somewhat healthy version of him out there, I was like, this isn't going to go great. Were you surprised to see that at all? I was not surprised to see him play, to be honest. A lot of people were talking about how this was his last game at Sanford stadium, because I think they have two more road games after this. And obviously he's going pro and is going to be a top 10, top 15 pick. And we got in the stadium pretty early and saw him warming up and he looked just perfectly fine. Like he did not look like he was limping, did not look like he was hampered. That tightrope surgery is is the real deal. You, you cannot really hurt any of the structure of that ankle anymore once you get that and you heal up in time. It's usually a a three to six week recovery. And like once you're ready to go at that three weeks, you're ready to go. And he was perfectly fine. And it just added a wrinkle to their offensive game plan where you have to account for him at all times for obvious reasons. And I think it kind of, I don't think it shocked Golding or the Ole Miss defense. I think they were proud. I'm sure they were prepared for the possibility of him playing, but it just changes the way you you have to scheme your defense. You can't put too much pressure on the quarterback and have our linebackers against him or our safeties against him one-on-one because it will not work out. Um, and they didn't throw the ball to him all that much in the game, but just the sight of him and his presence as a player on that field just completely changes what they can do offensively, and it showed consistently. And you mentioned the lack of pressure. I, I read something, uh, I think that Neil wrote, who is actually crediting someone else. I can't remember who it was at the top of my head, but Pro Football Focus credited Ole Miss with one pressure last night. It was Isaac Uklu. So, I mean, it was literally an entire game where Carson Beck was not pressured at all. It was some of that. He's getting the ball. They were getting the ball out pretty quickly. But even on the few times they dropped back and really he kind of looked across the field and made a couple of reads and threw it down the field. He wasn't really stressed at all. He didn't have to move very much at all. Ole Miss was struggling really to get any sort of semblance of pressure, even just to get him moved anywhere around in the pocket for the entirety of the game. And then after that, the con- the game kind of become became what it became. And you, know, you talk about 
where Ole Miss is as a program versus the Alabama and Georgia's of the world. There is also an element, a physical element of this, of like the getting beat up when you play and lose to Alabama too. There was some of that as well because they lost another tackle. Jackson Dart is dealing with a uh, left shoulder issue. I think they'll probably know a little bit more about his health status um, tonight and tomorrow morning from everything I've heard. Uh, I wouldn't see a world where he plays in the game this week. There's really no need for him to. I guess that question mark kind of becomes, is he available You know, 12 days from when the injury happened to play on Thanksgiving night? But there's also a, a physical toll in this. And I think Ole Miss, if you, want to, if you want to find a little bit of a silver lining, at least they don't have any games that we think are going to be competitive going forward. You know, until last night, I would have said, hey, Egg Bowl and Starkville, always weird over there. I get it. But then that team lost by 41 to Texas A&M. And I was like, okay, maybe they've thrown in the towel. So they're yeah. beat up, but at least they have some time to recover really up until the bowl game, which is like eight weeks from now. It's kind of a weird, a weird way for the season to fall the last couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I it's I don't think he will play next week. I don't know that. I think you're a little bit more educated on that than I am. Um, I don't know anything about his playing status. I, the, what sure. I said about the injury, definitely uh, some, yeah, some, that, yeah. some educated information there. I just don't see why they would need him to play next week. You know what I mean? No, and I was thinking about this earlier, and I will stand by this as strongly as I can. I have no interest in seeing Spencer Sanders play four quarters against ULM on Saturday. I don't need to see it. I don't care about him. He is gone after this year. I will be incredibly disappointed if we don't see Walker Howard play on Saturday, at least a half or three quarters or they split time or something. I I do not want to waste a game of Spencer Sanders playing quarterback. I don't need to see it. No one needs to see it. No one cares what he can do. It affects nothing about the future of this program. So if Dart doesn't play and he's not available, and look, if he's available, he's a tough-ass kid. I would imagine that he will – really try to play in that game and if he's like you know fully healthy and ready to go that's that's fine i'm cool with dart playing i don't i don't care uh i do not want to see spencer sanders for four quarters i will be legitimately pissed off i will not watch the game i'll just we'll do the podcast on sunday we'll talk about it and talk about the egg bowl i just i will have no comments on it if it's sanders I'm you know, I've, I haven't put a ton of time thinking into it but i mean i start, i definitely agree with you in that sense i just wonder what would the reasoning to play Sanders over Walker Howard be other than the fact that, and again, I'm just, I'm projecting here. I don't know anything about the situation other than Sanders has been a good soldier. This is his last opportunity to play collegiate football. That's the only thing I can think of. Is there, is there some sort of logic lane or window I'm missing regarding why he would play over Walker Howard other than that? No, that's that would be it. We owe you owe him nothing, you owe, except for the paycheck that I'm sure you're giving him to be on the football team. Besides that, nothing. You, you just you got to see what you can do with Walt with Walker and what what he's got and what place does he have on this roster in the future. You're playing a terrible ULM team. I do. Just, I just don't need to see Sanders handing the ball off 35 times on Saturday to Bentley and and Judkins and Jones and whoever the hell they can put out there because they're going to win this game. If I was playing quarterback, if you were playing quarterback, uh, it doesn't matter. So just to be able to learn more about this football team, I, I it's not the most important conversation we could have today, but I will be really aggravated if we don't see at least three quarters of Howard. 
And that's going to be kind of fascinating to see. And, and if Dart is, if it ends up sounding like he's not going to be available for that game, and I think they'll play it cautiously, kind of how that's discussed if Lane yeah. tips his hat hand at all throughout the week of what, what yeah. might happen. Hell, we might revert back to the old good old days of the opposite of what he's saying is what they intend to do. That's always a fun one with Lane. <laughs> kind of circling back to the big picture of this game. Ole Miss allows 611 yards of offense. Pretty, uh, they were equally distributed. Georgia ran for 311 on the ground and 300 through the air. Look, the game is what it was. Ole Miss was thoroughly outmanned, outmatched, and just kind of pummeled into submission. And so now we get to kind of like what's true and what does it mean? And I guess I'll start with the point of, I was, you know, typical fan reaction last night. People are frustrated. I'm getting some text reading the board a little bit. And it shouldn't, I don't like when I talk about where they are as a program and that being a free shot. I also don't intend that to be like, Hey, just be happy. You are in a game like that and you shouldn't expect more. Or you shouldn't expect better because the re rebuttal I've gotten to that a couple of times has been, well, Missouri played them close and had a chance to win the game. If not for two turnovers, that is absolutely true. I don't think you should expect more than, or you shouldn't expect more than the performance on Saturday night, but I do think Georgia also played one of its better games of the year. And I haven't, I didn't feel that way when they played Florida, even though they, that game got a hand it quickly, Missouri and a couple other times I've watched them this year. I thought that was the game on top of Ole Miss's struggles and injuries and all of that, where Georgia was really, really clicking all cylinders and you caught a great team that played one hell of a game and you aren't up for it. And the result was lopsided. I think that it is fully understandable to come to the conclusion after the Alabama game and the Georgia game on the road that you would like to see a more competitive effort from this team. I do not think that that is a ridiculous thing to say or to think, but you're exactly correct. You caught a team that finally was as healthy as it's been for a while, despite the linebacker being out, and they played one hell of a game. They had one hell of a game plan. They have out-personnelled you. They out-schemed you in that game, and, and they beat your ass. It's just that's as simple as it is. Um, but that doesn't discount this season for Ole Miss. It, it was a very unfortunate game. It was one that you'll hear national media being like, oh, Ole Miss not ready for primetime yet. I heard that in a few recap podcasts. And it's not unfair to say. I, I get it. I think it's a little ridiculous, um, kind of the pounding this team has gotten to this point. Uh, but they were just not they were in the non-competitive defensive league in Georgia. It was as simple as that. Offensively, they were game for two quarters. Uh, Georgia then completely changed their defensive scheme. They're like, we are not playing you man-to-man -man for the rest of the game. We have seen that you can scheme out of that and make plays. We're just we're done there. And they have two incredibly good safeties that they just played deep, uh, basically in like a cover two or cover four, we're like, try to run the ball on us because we're going to give you that look. If you can do it, cool. If not, you're just not going to get open. We're going to bracket Harris and Dayton Wade and Watkins and Priest Corner are going to be the ones that are going to have to make plays. And Ole Miss could not do it. It was another game where the scripts were really good early, and then once the defense adjusted, Ole Miss really just did not have much of an answer, uh, which is something we actually really haven't seen from this team since Alabama, I would say. Uh, they've been pretty good in second halves of these games, you know, kind of working on the fly, doing different things. Uh, they've been healthier, but they just weren't a match. Offensively, once Jade Williams went out, they had to keep rotating around. It, it just was not a good matchup. It, it was not a good execution, really. After those first two drives, uh, they were getting to dart. 
they were not getting open against really, really good Georgia DBs. And at the end of the day, you're, I mean, it's a personnel thing. They were just better personnel wise at basically every, pretty much every single position. Uh, I mean, I, that I can think of off the top of my head and it showed, and that's life. Uh, I think Neil's article where he talked about like you know, Georgia showed the difference between good and great. And that's a very apt way to put what this game was. Ole Miss is a good football team. Georgia is a great football team. And when you're not clicking on all cylinders, really at any phase of the game, this is what can happen to you. And it's exactly what happened on Saturday. Um, so you can be disappointed by the efforts in the two biggest games of this season. I get that. But it doesn't mean this is a bad football team or this program has hit its ceiling and this is as only as where they'll go from here. Um, I, I don't think that's fair. And, you know, we saw tweets from national media people, you know, just with some just basically really stupid comments that I was like, I just don't understand this shit right now. It, it makes no sense to me, um, but it is what it is. I can explain that portion to you. We got, uh, there are a lot of people with national media jobs where there's this brief moment in time where Twitter and the internet was a thing and they got a blue check and that somehow made you think they are intelligent people and validated their opinion. When in reality, you have a lot of just very not smart people working yeah. in the media industry. Uh, I can, there's plenty of great ones, not everybody, but uh, I could I can attest to that firsthand. Love the Dan Wolken take of, they'll probably go 10 and two One of the worst. top 25 win, even though they got two wins over teams currently ranked in the top 20. That was a personal favorite of mine. But back to your point, you're right. I thought last night was in some ways, we called it a free shot. And in some ways, a free shot is often a measuring stick. And I think that was a pretty rough look in the mirror for a lot of Ole Miss fans because Ole Miss has won a lot of games. They haven't over the last three years. They haven't lost very often. Uh, you know, that streak uh, to end the year last year, coinciding with the Auburn saga. If you take that aside, there's Ole Miss has only been in this position like three times or on three, four Saturdays over the last two years where they've lost a football game, which is crazy to think about. And so, I think it was probably the stark reminder from a fan base standpoint of what losing feels like, but then also the lopsided nature was a little bit of a humbling and probably frustrating look yeah. at where you are on that measuring stick. But there's also context to be added there because it also takes time. It's one, it's incredibly hard to get to that level, to get to that next tier that we're talking about. It takes time to get there and there's, you know, I don't know, 70 other programs across the country, maybe 50 serious ones trying to get in that air. And Ole Miss is a hell of a lot closer than I would say about 95% of them. And so I guess, I guess what I'm trying to articulate is you have a coach that has made you relevant. He wins a lot of football games. You have a competitive offense. You seem to have a pretty good thing at the defensive coordinator thing right now, last night's performance notwithstanding. Sometimes it just takes a little time to get there. I mean, I, I look back at the Harbaugh thing, right? He didn't win his division until like year seven. He goes, you know, 10 and three, 10 and three, eight and five, 10 and three, nine and four, whatever the COVID year. And then it kind of finally clicks. And I'm not comparing the two at all, but I guess just his point being is sometimes it takes time to get to the top of the mountain and Ole Miss is kind of knocking at the door but there's also a pretty good gap between them accomplishing it and getting there. And then that leads into how do you get there? Lane got asked about that last night. He said, recruiting, we've signed one five-star over whatever period of time they've signed 24. And I think that's probably last night. What is probably going to be talked about the most is emphasizing high school recruiting more and being more successful in that this portal thing can work. They had 28 new guys currently on this depth chart from the portal, uh, the latest depth chart 
on the team that weren't on the team last year, 28 new guys. And we've talked about this portal strategy a lot. It can be a good thing, but when you face the elite of the elite, it seems like you need a lot more dudes that you more often than not get from high school. Was that a takeaway you had from last night? I thought Lane's answer was interesting. It's definitely a part of it. Uh, Everything that he said about that game, I completely agree with and understand. Um, I, I think they are going to begin to wane themselves off the portal, but you have to have it. It has to be a massive part of what you are. And that's not an Ole Miss specific thing. That's an everybody thing that everybody is using this portal to supplement their roster. Um, Sometimes you're trying to add elite players that are leaving schools for whatever reason. And sometimes you just need guys to fill spots for guys that are leaving. You know, everyone's trying to, you know, you're not the only one doing this and you're not the only one trying to bring kids in, but you're also not the only one that's going to have kids leave. It's, it's the part that you forget about the portal is that you're not just adding, you're, you're having to replace as much as anything. And yeah, look, they're going to have to start playing with the big boys and recruiting. And I know everyone wants to talk about, well, like, you know, this is an NIL problem or the you know, NIL is going to have to increase. And that is absolutely true. NIL is a very important part of this, but I swear on my life that NIL is how you close things. It is not how you open things. You know, you have to be able to get into relationships. You have to be able to be more aggressive on the recruiting trail. You have to put yourself out there. You have to work harder. And then once you get into the real conversation with kids, then you close with the NIL portion of it. Um, And I think that they have shown to start to get there. I think you're seeing them get better in state. I think you're seeing them be more relevant with some higher ranking prospects in this next upcoming class with Golding being a huge part of that. Um, But it's everything. Look, when Georgia started this, this run, NIL wasn't a thing. And I know they still have incredible resources and they're the only main program in that state, but it's not like they have just been gouging people with their prices for five years. That's not how this worked. You have to work your ass off. And Kirby is a, as involved of a head coach in recruiting as you'll find in this country. You know, Saban-esque uh, way that he goes about that. And you, you're you going to have to see a little bit more of that from Lane. He's going to have to get more involved with the elite players because he's the brand of this program. He's the guy that people see that they want to go play for. So, and I'm not blaming him by any means. I think they're doing better in recruiting and high school players. But, I mean, you're going to have to start playing with the big boys here pretty soon, especially with Texas and OU coming in, because those guys are two more teams recruiting at an incredibly high level. Um, And look, you're going to have to get elite portal players and you're going to have to hit on the elite portal players. Um, You've had some good ones in this class, some important ones, and you've had some absolute busts that kind of changed the complex of your offense this season. So it's definitely a massive part of this, um, but there's more context to it than just, you know, we got to pay better. We'll get back to Weldon in just one second, but before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your 
Go to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted tea is there to elevate your game day experience it perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments so let's toast to unforgettable game day experience twisted tea the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football keep it twisted podcast is also brought to you by lb's university avenue there in oxford go see greg if you're rippy right subscriber that's rippyrights.substack.com you get a free newsletter for me and discounted meats right now it's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks it's about a 40 dollar evaluation you're getting there for 20 dollars. just go in show greg proof of subscription tell him you know about the rippy rights newsletter he'll get you set up and then go find all of your own favorites it's the greatest butcher shop in the world incredible cuts of meat i love the fillet burgers all kinds of delicious sausages. The tri-tip is incredible. It's truly a gem of Oxford and a gem of the South. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon. Yes, well said. And it's smarter as well, because I know it's something you've talked about as well. Yeah, 100%. And that's what's another portion of last night, too, is the fact that Lane – I mean – He's a smart guy. The fact that he openly said that, like, I, I, I thought he, it was a short press conference from Lane Kiffin last night, but I, I thought it was one of his better ones, and he put a lot of it succinctly. And I thought the answer about, hey, we got to recruit better. The whole five star quote that I read earlier was, was certainly an encouraging sign. I guess that he knows that. I don't know why he wouldn't. But you're right. It's not just a resources thing. I mean, I, as you were answering that question, it was funny. <laughs> I had Twitter pulled up on the side and literally as you were formulating that answer, here's a take from another, I'm sure, just scholar in the media, a guy named Brad Crawford, appears to work for 247. It's got a little clickbait column out. Lane Kiffin is a fit at Texas A&M and told, he told us so last night. And he has the quote that I was talking about earlier. And he says, he's reached his ceiling at Ole Miss and he knows it. That's not really what, I don't think that I don't find that to be a rational takeaway from last night. It goes into. Would you the, like to hear Lane's answer to being asked about the Texas A&M job? Oh yes, we're doing this as this is happening. This is perfect timing. What is it? So Michael Katz tweets: Lane Kiffin was asked about the Texas A&M job, given his name on all the early lists. Lane, I am not going there again. End quote. That. Um, is what you would expect from him. Yeah. And to, to in case anyone is not clear on that, but he says, I'm not going there again. I don't think he's talking about his, he doesn't plan to travel to College Station ever again. I, I think he's he's declining to answer the question. Yeah, look, if you think that you're going to go through this coaching silly season without Lane Kiffin rumors, and you think that he is going to shut them down, you are mistaken. And that's not because I believe that he is dying to go to Texas A&M at all. It's just not how he does it. There is no reason to believe that he is going to change the way he goes about that situation um, after last year. It's just not going to happen. Um, I don't know anything about this. It's it's going to come up. Just have some thick skin. Just deal with it because it's going to happen. He's going to be a part of that conversation. Um, it's just life. It's life with Lane Kiffin as your head coach at Ole Miss. And – I get where people are going to come to see the quote after the game and be like, oh, he's dying to go somewhere else. I don't necessarily think that's the case, 
Uh, I can understand why someone that's not paying close attention would assume that. I think it's not even unfair to assume that that's like him complaining. I don't think it is, but he's going to be part of these conversations every single go around. It's just life. That's exactly the way it should be said. It's it's just life with Lane Kiffin. He's not going to change it. And that intertwines a bit into the point I, I was kind of getting at, too, of this the column this guy wrote. I'm not going to click on the column, but I can already probably tell you what, <laughs> what it says. And I don't think last night Lane saying that in that quote was him complaining about it at all. Um, you know, I would say if, if he did feel that way, we would have probably gotten a Chris Lowe tweet, which is one of my all-time favorites, about how AM's fund is 12 times of old misses, similar to what we got to Auburn. I don't think that's at all what Lane Kiffin was saying last night. And what I think he was saying in some ways, one, he's just being honest. And there's I don't want to read too much into it. But two, it's what you were getting at earlier. Ole Miss, you know, Lane Kiffin has forced them to be competitive and be on the forefront of NIL. And those people um, working on something now, but the, everyone who's involved with the Grove Collective and making sure Ole Miss was proactive in that and the fundraising and hiring a full-time guy to do it is a huge reason of why Ole Miss is on the verge of another 10-win season. And he's forced them to be competitive and be, you know, I keep saying on the forefront, but be be in the mix of the top programs and be organized in NIL. Maybe not like a Mississippi State situation, but the good example of the opposite. But there's also been a strategy there. We talk about the portal king. There was a conscious choice to utilize the portal. And as we saw in his first couple of classes, whether it was Jaheim Otis and a, the couple of guys in that class, Ole Miss, there was some murmurs about a little bit of a lack of an organization involvement with some key guys, high school blue chip guys until later in the game. And so if I want to read further into the Kiffin quote last night, if I'm taking anything away from it, it's his admission or realization or just saying, Hey, we've got to do a better job of recruiting at the high school level. I don't really think it has anything to do with him saying his hands are tied from a resource standpoint. No, I don't think it does at, at all. And, and that's not that it's not true. It's not that Ole Miss doesn't, you know, they obviously do not have the resources of an A&M or Georgia or Bama or Texas or whatever, but that's, there ain't that many that do. So it, that's nothing new for any, any program in this country. Uh, I think it's just a reality that, look, we're going to have to start getting better players. Simple as that. And, you know, whether he takes that upon himself or the staff or they, they do things differently or they go about high school recruiting the portal a little differently. I don't know what the the correct way to go about it is or what they think the correct way of going about it is, but they're just going to have to be more aggressive um, and they're going to have to be more aggressive in different ways. And they're going to have to start dominating the state. They got to make it easy for themselves because you're, you know, two ships passing through the night currently with the programs in state Take advantage of it because this 24 class and this 25 class in state is really, really good. Um, you have a chance to separate yourself in the easiest, most advantageous part of recruiting in Ole Miss, which is having pretty damn good in-state players. Uh, and then, look, you have to go out of state. He has shown that he is fully capable of going to get quarterbacks. Well, they don't have a quarterback in the 24 class and they don't have a quarterback in the 25 class yet. You got to figure that part out. And then you just move on from there. I think getting more aggressive in the trenches is going to be very important. And like you're seeing in the NFL, we at Ole Miss, you should be able to have elite wide receiver play. Or you should be able to be in the top half of the league in wide receiver play. And Trey Harris has been awesome. Wade has been awesome. Watkins has been awesome. But you can get – you can upgrade. You can upgrade there. Deion Smith is 
obviously a name people talk about. There's some high school guys. There's Burnside from from Starkville that people are talking about. So, look, I mean, there's players out there that could come in and contribute early. And then who knows what the portal is going to look like with these A&M players that have 30 days, whether you go after some of those guys. Guess what? You won't be alone there. Uh, so, I mean, look, there, there's avenues to increase the talent on this roster and do it in a reasonable format and reasonable timing. And I'm confident that they are on the right track to do that. And it is clearly the emphasis moving forward uh, with this team that, look, we can scheme however we want to. If we don't have better players, we will not reach 11, which I think is kind of starting to become like the we got to 10. How do we get to 11? And they were, and we talked about this a couple of times throughout, you know, camp and the portal discussions that come up. They're already kind of starting to do that. They're already at 20, I believe they have 22 commits currently in their class. There's five four stars. They have currently five of the top seven players in the state of Mississippi committed. You had the Burnside D commitment. I know, you know, with the state of the state of Mississippi State, um, you know, Harrell at um, North Panola. And so they were already starting to do that. And I think that's an interesting an interesting part of the conversation too is you mentioned again you go back to the Lane Kiffin quote I don't also think that's last he looked at that and that's him saying last night we need to do exactly what George is doing I think it's finding a little bit of a different way to thread the needle between being more involved and getting more talent from blue chip high school at, at the high school level with blue chip guys and then supplementing it with the portal which they were already starting to do anyway because again we talk about resources and all that they aren't a and m or Georgia or Alabama. So they shouldn't act exactly like it. It's just right. clear last night building depth and getting top end guys at a high school is going to make them close the gap faster. And I think it's just finding a different way to utilize the portal to complement that. It's just about taking advantage of, for lack of a better word, the advantages that you have at Ole Miss in state around you, Kiffin being a quarterback guy, their reputation in the portal, you hammer those points. And you get as much out of what advantages you have that you can. And that's the way you build this thing. You're not going to do it like Alabama or Georgia. The offer from Ole Miss, and don't get offended by this, is not a game changer for a lot of people. In state, it can be. A guy, you know, gets an Ole Miss offer. That can change his recruitment pretty dramatically. Offering a kid from New Orleans or Mobile or Atlanta, it's just it gets you in the game and then you can develop the relationship from there, but it's, it's not going to completely change the recruitment. Like when you get an Alabama or a Georgia offer or an LSU in state offer, it's that's life that that's not an Ole Miss issue. That's just the way things work. You see it all the time. That is just, that's okay. But when you get kids, you know, like Eccles who gets the Alabama offer, it looks like you've kind of beaten that wave. Um, you know, Suntarian Perkins, when you hold on to a guy like that in states and Camarian Franklin, when you prioritize a guy 45 minutes down the road, that's a five star and you keep him from Auburn and A&M, wherever the hell else he was looking at, just getting the elite players within two hours from your campus is point number one. Absolutely. And this is not a, oh, we got to be a made in Mississippi thing. That's, that's not the thing at all. But that's your advantage that you have right now. You have an in-state program in Mississippi State that is just dead and buried at the moment. And you should be the one, like in Step Brothers, when Will Ferrell was just burying John C. Riley, And he's like, you know, I'm alive. Like, no, 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 I'm burying you. Like, that's <laughs> that's what you should be doing right now for the best players in Mississippi. You should just be burying them. Um, and that's just – that's the first step. 
the portal and everything else is just growing upon that. So they can do it. They've shown to be much better at it recently. Um, and I know we're kind of, you know, kind of going in circles in this point, but it's an important point. It's an important point that we're not saying Lane is disappointed in his abilities to get these guys. He's just putting forth an emphasis that I don't think he's really said out loud in that kind of tone yet. Like, hey, we've been pretty damn good this year, but like that's the difference between good and great, basically saying it in his version. Absolutely. And another point from last night as we kind of relate everything we talked about back to the game itself is <laughs> I knew there would be some frustration regardless of like how the game turned out. But we talk about trying to get to that next level. Well, Ole Miss is at the top of whatever level they're at on the threshold of breaking through it. It's just how deep and how much further they have to go to actually do it. And they're ahead of a lot of other places in doing it. And, you know, we talked about this team at the beginning of the year. It's like, can they get to a seven, eight wins? Is it going to be a seven and five type year? It feels a little wrong to move the goalpost now and talk about the disappointment of this game for too terribly long because they are barring some sort of crazy ass miracle going to win 10 games in a regular season for the second time in three seasons. And that's something that had not happened in a regular season in like a half century. And so that's still a remarkable accomplishment at Ole Miss. And so, you know, if you're frustrated from last night's loss, just kind of take a look around and take a deep breath. It could be a whole hell of a lot worse because most of the other places you're competing with are in a whole hell of a lot worse shape. And you've got, you know, a competent staff that's winning a bunch of football games that's made you relevant and made you in the conversation as you enter this expanded playoff era. That is where everyone is trying to be and then get to the top level. And not many teams can say they have the opportunity to do that. And Ole Miss does. It's just going to take more time to get there. When Dan Wilkin made his stupid ass tweet last night, I, I quoted it. I was like, yes. Losing on the road to Alabama and Georgia and beating everyone else your schedule is a bad thing. Yeah, shameful. <laughs> it's a shameful thing. You know, it is an unsuccessful season. And T. Bob Hebert actually commented on it and was like, yeah, that is ridiculous of him to say that. It's 10 and 2. It's Ole Miss. LSU would love to be in that scenario. And I'm just like, it, that's the whole point. It's like, look at the schedule. And if you came out with it, it was like, yeah, Ole Miss went 10 and two and lost to the SC West champ on the road and the SEC East two time defending champ, two time defending national champions on the road. You would be like, yeah, I'll take that. You know, that's, that's pretty damn good. Doesn't mean you have to be super excited about the way they played in those two games. And I think there's a little bit of anxiety about like what this season could end up being with this Missouri deal. And like, you know, you go 10 and two and end up in a Florida bowl. And it's like, well, what was all this for? And I understand that because if you end up like going to the citrus bowl after this season that they've had, like that would be a pretty big disappointment. Um, not that any of these bowl games matter worth shit anymore, which is just a college football problem, but it'd be a little bit more exciting to go play in the cotton bowl against like Oklahoma or Texas compared to going and play Iowa in the citrus bowl. Like that's just a fact. So I think there's a little added anxiety about just the way that game went and kind of the obviously unmatched uh, competitiveness of it, which is leading to Ole Miss probably being ranked a little bit lower than teams you'd expect fair or unfair. Um, so no, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's just why well, pounding on Ole Miss for going 10 and two for two out of the last three years makes no sense to me. And I saw Bud Elliott, who's just – he's actually good at what he does, but he does not like Ole Miss either. I think he's from his Florida State days on that beat or whatever. And he was like, is Ole Miss going to be the worst SEC 10-2 and teams uh, in the last 20 years? And I just like, what are we doing here? What does that even mean? Like, if you what actually think about what that means, mean? what the hell does that mean? 
I mean, I just, it's so aggravating and so frustrating. I mean, I, I don't understand what the point of that is. I don't, it's, it's just ridiculously stupid. Um, it's thinking you're dunking on a team because like you have some sort of, I don't know, superiority to them. It makes no sense to me. There's not a single other SEC team except for maybe LSU because they won the West last year that would trade place with Ole Miss with the last three years. Yeah. Obviously besides Alabama and Georgia, that whatever. But they have been on pace. They are a top five SEC team since Kiffin has gotten to Ole Miss. That's just a fact. And they're working to get to that next level. And if the playoff was here this year and it's not, you would be in that conversation potentially making it. Not many other teams in this conference are in that same position. So you can be disappointed. I get it. It's a frustrating effort in this Georgia game. It's You have to do a little bit of a – a scope on the program and see like what the positives and negatives and whatnot, but this team's going to go 10 and two barring controversy. I mean, absolute catastrophe in these last two games. And that is not a bad thing, despite what some assholes say about it. Yeah. Not in the slightest. And I do get the sentiment that like, you're right. If they end up at the Florida citrus bowl, instead of the it will be like, so frustrating. It would be a disappointing development in what is a weird year in this last yes. year of the 14 playoff era. But again, it would make this, it doesn't change that the season is still a wild success. I didn't think this team would be 10 and two. I thought people saying this team would be 10 and two in August. I was like, I'll have what you're having. I think you're on drugs. Um, and I, I mean, hand up, I was wrong and they deserve every bit of credit for that. And I don't think last night or anything else with the way the season finishes out outside of losing one of these next two games, that would be a wild conversation changes any of that. And so as we, again, kind of the last tying some loose ends up for last night, you talk about, okay, well the gap and how to get there. And we covered the recruiting part of it as well. Ole Miss has also been incredibly good in close coin flip games in the fourth quarter. And this is not at all digging at them for the two 10 win seasons and saying it shouldn't have happened or doing the Bud Elliott routine at all. But it is, I think worth pointing out and reminding folks that like the LSU game could have gone either way. Ole Miss made the plays to win that game, but that was a one, two play away from it being a different result. Arkansas led briefly in the fourth quarter. A&M led with like four minutes to go in the game. If you go back to 2021, they won a bunch of close games against Arkansas. They won a bunch a close game against Tennessee. There's a couple in there I'm sure I'm missing. A&M was kind of close-ish, pick six at the end to cap it off, made the score seem a lot But Ole Miss has been incredibly fortunate and successful in these very, very close one-score games. And I don't know if that ends up evening out at some point, but like the margin to where they've gotten to these two 10-win seasons is pretty thin. And I think sometimes when you have a game like last night where it's just not competitive against the best program in the sport, the 10 wins and how much Ole Miss has won the last years maybe makes you lose sight or maybe it skews where you thought the gap was, and last night was a reminder. I guess I'm just pointing out that Ole Miss has been really damn good in one-score games, and we could very easily be talking about two eight-and-four seasons. Uh, absolutely. Um, and if you flip some of those games last year, I mean, it could be a more positive or a more negative. It yep. just depends on how you look at it. There is this guy on Twitter who I was just trying to find it on my phone. I could not find it, who has this kind of metric that is like who is winning games off of strictly coaching. And his after last week, the AM game, he's like Lane Kiffin is leading the SEC in this like kind of coaching wins metric by three, which is a lead over every other coach in the SEC. It's like coach, his decision making and his coaching That's has given Ole Miss three more wins than they were supposed to have this season. And that's what it comes down to is they have been aggressive 
It's about making the right analytical plays, which I know people hate that, but like he is, and he even gone in more detail. I cannot find it, but that's, that's kind of the reason they've been winning these close games. It's confidence from the quarterback position. It's Lane making the right moves and the right decisions, the defense making plays when they are given to them. That's just how you win close games. And look, that is a something that can regress to the mean. You see it in the NFL all the time. The, the Vikings were like eight and one last year in close games. They started off this season 0 and four in one possession games. It, it, it's something that happens, but we do this year by year. We don't care what next year looks like. We, we don't know what next year looks like. You can look at the, the sample that we have now and just realize that Ole Miss has beaten teams that they're equal to or better than, and they've lost to two teams that they're not as good at. That's just how football works sometimes. It's fine. It's okay. You don't, there's no reason to look at this team and be like, this team sucks or this team is the worst 10 and two team. And SEC has like, that's obviously not true. And it's also just completely irrelevant to the conversation. We will finish up with Weldon in just one second, but before we do, I want to take one more quick break to remind you. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. And it's it's that stat is incredible. I, I'm you'll have to go find it and send it to me uh, after because I'd love to take a look at it. it. And it's it's a different way of saying what we talked about after the AM game and some of these other close games they won. That it's breaking the brand. It's okay, why have they won 10 games in the regular season twice in three years after not doing it for so long? It's because they're not losing these coin flip games and the we are old miss moments where they blow it at the end. They are aggressive, they're smart, they're well coached. And they win these type of games now, which, again, as we keep putting into context, not a whole lot of places are doing. They're trying to get into a very, very small, hard to crack club. And so I don't think any of that should be you know, lose sight of that throughout all of this. And also, it's been a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, if you compare this to at any other time at Ole Miss, I know we lived through some pretty good years in college with the freeze era, but there wasn't the stability. Ole Miss is a very, very consistent program in great shape entering the 12-team playoff era. And. That was really with this whole seismic shift of college football in the last couple of years with the portal and NIL and the expanded playoff. It was a little bit of between the middle class programs, middle tier, second tier, whatever you want to call it, jockeying for position to be ready to launch, for the lack of a better phrase, when the 12-team playoff gets here. And Ole Miss has accomplished that. And I think this season is reflective of that as well. So I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird, it's a weird point we're at. Because now there's not really anything else left to talk about. Like that game happened and then you look on the schedule and it's like, okay, they have ULM and a state team that's mailed it in. Like, what are we going to talk about for the next six to eight weeks regarding this? It's like conversations like this. I'm sure we'll get to the silly season part of it, but that game right. happening and then they're not being another, another one to put that loss in the rear view to really look forward to makes this even weirder, if that makes any sense at all. 
the conversation really flips to roster management, yeah. to the coaching cycle and to recruiting. That that's basically really the only relevant conversations you can have about this program going forward. Um, unfortunately, there's like I said, there's no playoff. Uh, no one cares about bowl games. So it, it's kind of just that's just what college football is these days. You know, once you're kind of out of that playoff conversation, you're kind of out of a lot of things to talk about. They're going to beat ELM. They're going to beat Mississippi State. We're going to celebrate a 10 win season and then it's be like, well, what's going forward? Obviously, it's like, well, is, is Kevin here? You know, <laughs> what does the recruiting look like? What does the portal look like? That's about all we can really talk about. Um, it's, I mean, this season went quick. It's kind of sad. I mean, it's basically over from a relevancy standpoint. That's fine. That doesn't mean it was unsuccessful. That just means you just have to look towards the future and all of that's going to be around roster management, coaching changes, and the portal pretty much. And the last portion of this too is something I talked about last night. We've discussed it a little bit too. It's like if you don't, if you're in a program that doesn't have the unlimited resources of an AM, a Georgia, an Alabama, then you have to smartly utilize those resources. And of course, when I say resources, I'm talking about NIL. And I wonder if the next phase of this, and this is not blaming or hindsight or saying they should have done this. This is me just talking about what we've learned in this rapidly changing college football environment is hey, is it smart to? pay a running back a ton of NIL money. And it's, it's again, not second guessing because the idea of them losing Quinshawn Judkins within the whole landscape and narrative and storyline and all that of last year would have thought to be unthinkable. But like looking back now, if you're Ole Miss, do you take, like is the next step of this just being like a whoever it is, and I don't know if it's Walker Jones or multiple people involved, but you know, being like mini capologists and being a GM and saying, no, we need to allocate X amount of money here to whatever position group and not give it to a running back and stuff like that. Do you think that's kind of the next phase of this whole thing? It's it's difficult to say because I don't know in college football, having worked in a recruiting department, there are GMs in college football, but they don't have the say and the power that they do in the NFL. It's it, those are two completely, you know, separate entities of which they run a team. Uh the, the head football coach in college makes all of the, the final decisions. That's why he's paid a shit ton of money to do so. Until you see a program decide to split those two entities into completely separate, uh, you know, just points of emphasis, completely separate uh, jobs. Yes. Then I think you can begin to have the conversation around how do you allocate building a roster? Um, there would be no case scenario where if last year Judkin says I would like to be paid this much that Kiffin would be like yeah actually you know no we're good here yeah there's just, the there just no world in that where that's the case now if he comes back this year and is like I would like you know an extra half a million then I don't know what you would do that's an incredibly difficult you know conversation to have because there's no you know, separation of powers there. It, it is all on the head coach. And no, Walker Jones will not be making decisions on who to pay or not to pay. That is not how this works in any sport that he's doing. He is in the service industry. He is doing his best to get NIL, NIL efforts organized and then disperse them appropriately based on how the boosters want their money spent and how the coaching staff wants their money spent. So I don't know if we're there yet on discussing you know, how to balance your checkbook based on how a football roster is put together. 
Obviously, you see in the NFL that positions like running back and tight end and linebacker have been devalued based on the kind of war of those positions, for lack of a better phrase. Um, but that's just not reality in our current standpoint, which I think you understand. I, you, what you're saying about, you know, distributing money for positions of need and in positions of importance is is obvious. But I don't think you can run a roster in college like that until there is just a complete change in the way that all football teams do it. I I don't see that happening, uh, especially at this level. Yeah, we're definitely not there yet. And like the, it's like a, I probably should have articulated it a little better. Like I was curious, like, does the, do you start seeing football programs have like a, a like figurative Walker Jones, for lack of a better phrase. Like obviously Walker Jones is not going to become the general manager of Ole Miss football and start saying they oh, this is how much money and all that. But like, do you is it is it Kiffin or like just a hypothetical example? Is it the head coach or do they end up having guys within the program now that say here let's take a look at this funding wise and what we need on the roster? I'm curious if there's any sort of shift to that, and we're probably a long way from it. But I do think you're probably going to eventually reach the point with these programs that don't have unlimited funds. It's like, why does why did X amount of money go to that one player or one position where, you know, we're really lacking at another? I do think there's going to be some sort of correction there. I just don't know what it looks like. I don't need I don't disagree with you. I think it'll be up to the head coach to kind of take that off his plate to hire someone they trust to run you know, as a general manager on the recruiting and roster management side and be like, look, I am here to recruit the players that you kind of assign me to recruit. We will evaluate them, whether they're portal or high school, and then we will distribute our funds accordingly based on what we have. That would be the most effective and efficient way of going about this process. But that's a head coach giving up power. And these guys don't do that very often. Uh, They don't trust a lot of people, especially if you've got a GM that never played football or never coached football, which is a lot of the cases for a lot of People in that position, believe me, I know because I've I've been in that position. Uh, I've been in that kind of world and I've known people in different places in college where it's like, yeah, like, you know, I've got the head coach's trust when it comes to putting together schedules. That doesn't always mean that he's going to be listening to me when it tells me to, you know, recruit this quarterback over this one. So that is going to be a complete, you know, change from the way that a lot of programs do it. Um, And that doesn't mean they don't trust people in the building. That's obviously not what I'm saying. It's just, I don't know if we're there yet, Uh, but that doesn't mean the points aren't valid. And that, you know, if you're at Ole Miss where your, your funds are not unlimited, that maybe you have to begin to look at doing things differently, which is something that Lane has said he's open to do, you know, create the new box or whatever the hell he says. Um, That's, he doesn't say that just to say it, you know, it's a real saying. So maybe that they will begin to look at that a little bit differently. Yeah, exactly. The, I've always forget the box quote. He did it with the portal. It's just like, what's the next version of that? Like, what is that next version of that? And how does the NIO and the portal and all that like tie in together? And it's going to be fascinating over the next couple of years, particularly now that there's more seats at the table with the playoff. Now to the fun part. We woke up with some news. I think I learned it from you because you said, now we have a ton to talk about. And I was like, okay, someone got fired. Who was it? And it was, a, it was Jimbo Fisher has been fired by Texas A&M. Board of Regents met Thursday. They decided we don't want to pay this guy. We're going to pay him a ton of money to go away. And now the silly season starts. Uh, I've already seen it. I mean, naturally, it's a marquee job. It's like who's going to be available for it. It's Lane Kiffin. Um, as you read earlier in your quote, uh, the quote from Kiffin as he's doing his Sunday media availability now is, I'm quote, I'm not going there again. I don't know exactly 
uh, what that means. Uh, actually, I know exactly what it means. It's I'm not getting into that. I'm not answering the question. Yeah. I, I, this is natural. Like you said, Ole Miss fans hunker down, have thick skin. My first reaction to this is it's not surprising he's included. I am not totally positive I see it as a fit. I could understand why Lane Kiffin would covet the job and want the job just like any other coach, but I don't, for whatever reason, I do not get the sense that that would be an awesome fit. What say you? Well, there's, there's a lot to this. Um, I do not see the fit at all. I think it makes no sense with the exception of that. He'd be able to have elite players, which is just a fact. Um, It was interesting reading a few articles of guys who are pretty good about this. Both Bruce Feldman and Andy Staples did not have Lane in their initial, you know, potential hires for A&M, which I thought was fascinating. That is fascinating because you would would trust them over some of these other hot board people. Right. And then, of course, you know, you've got your other people who are just like, oh, Lane Kiffin would be a perfect fit. They they don't know anything. They're just saying that to say that it happens every single time. He's been incredibly successful. He's had a great season this year. He's beaten A&M three times. But there's also the money side of this. And A&M has a shit ton of money. Obviously, they're about to pay, you know, Jimbo Fisher, 76 million added on to the staff members that they extended two months ago, that they're going to have to buy them out as well, assuming that they're not kept on. Um, and then they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to pay another coach a obscene amount of money because they have now set the standard for what they're able to pay a coach. This is going to be close to a $120 million mistake and investment. That That's just what has become with AM and the way that they've distributed this money. Lane Kiffin makes $9 million a year. He is not going to go to A&M if he's making less money. I just, that would be shocking. And money for him and for a lot of coaches is not everything. But he's got a pretty good situation here. He is not building. um, I guess, you know, you really wouldn't have to build there necessarily. But they're going to have to pay him probably $10 million a year. And they're probably going to have to guarantee a six- or seven-year contract. Uh, it's just – it's a lot. It would be a lot of money. It clearly doesn't matter that much for them, but it's not nothing either. You know, it's not all pixie dust, uh, fugazi, fugazi. This stuff, this stuff is real. Um, so it, it's a factor. He's going to be in part of every single conversation you hear from here on out until he makes – or until a and makes a decision or he makes a decision or takes himself completely out of it. But that's not really in his interest. It's not. He's got a chance to potentially win 10 games again and then maybe even get some sort of extension at Ole Miss. They, we extend coaches every year now. It, that's just life. It's the rollback uh, deal. It's the rollback deal. Mississippi, they are in a disadvantage having that four-year deal. Um, where they can only have you know contracts for four extended for four years at a time, that is a massive disadvantage. It is it is talked about plenty in Ole Miss sites. It's not talked about nationally because some people just don't understand what that's yes. about. Um, so look, just have thick skin, deal with it, and look. If he leaves, that's life. That that is life. You find a way to go get a really good football coach. I think you would be a really Good job considering the ones that are already open. I think you have proven what the ceiling and the floor of this program is in this new SEC. You've got a good roster coming back, all things considered, for other places. So it's just don't panic. Just let it all happen. It'll be okay no matter what. Um, I think it would obviously be disappointing. 
Um, but like you said, I agree. I don't see the fit necessarily, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything either. Talk about rollback and contract disadvantages. You you could be like Ross Bjork and create your own. You could negotiate against no one, give him an extension, and also none of that uh, buyout money they're paying him is offset if he gets a new job. Did you see that nugget? Just incredible, incredible contract work. Um, and then I think he came out and said something about like the the twelfth man is going to be paying for this, and then the rest will be funneled through the athletic budget. Why is, why is that needed to be known? What why why put that out there? What do you gain? I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I would like to go read or listen to his press conference. I saw a bunch of people tweeting like this guy knows nothing. Um He's I also know. not calling the shots. Let's make that clear. Oh, well, that's an absolute fact. This this you he does not get to control what goes on over there from a football standpoint. That is coming from way above him. Um, he, he does not have that kind of power there. Um, now to his slight credit, he has made two pretty good hires so far at AM, um, baseball wise and basketball. Actually, he didn't make it, buzz he didn't make the basketball. Slosh was a good one, though. You can give him credit for that. Yeah, no, no, he didn't make the basketball, and that was uh, Scott hired Buzz Williams. So, actually, I'm wrong on that. So, honestly. I don't know how he still has a job, but I don't have like any sort of indebted towards Ross. I've met him a few times. He's been nothing but nice. So I, I don't, it's whatever. I don't care about that as much as some other people do, but he's got a big decision to make. They've got a plenty of money to go out to look at a, quite a few people. Um, I would make Dan Lanning say no with any kind of fairy dust money I have. That would be my first and only call. And then after that, you kind of just, Look at the landscape because you're about to have Arkansas and state open up should not affect who A&M hires, but it's just more bullshit rolling around in the circle. You don't know what Jim Harbaugh situation is. Uh, I don't think there's anything else dramatic that could happen in this cycle unless Florida does something crazy. Um, so look, it is what it is. It, it's A&M has decided to be the market maker in this, in this cycle. And that's just life in college football. Do you think he's making the hire? My oh, no. No. Fuck no. Yeah. Absolutely not. No, zero percent chance that he is making this final decision. Now he will do the interview parts, but it won't, it will not be up to him, which is honestly as crazy as it sounds pretty rare. It ain't that often where the AD like just doesn't get to make that many important decisions, but at that place and with him, uh, he will not be making that decision. I would imagine. I don't think so either. And I think that's fairly obvious. I do think, and you know, after yesterday, I guess we can kind of combine this now into the look around the SEC. Uh, holy moly, Auburn and Arkansas. Arkansas comes off a pretty big road win where it's like, hey, there's actually a path for them to get to six wins. Maybe Pittman writes the ship a little bit. And then you come out and you throw a dud and you get a almost a 50 burger dropped on you by one of the worst offenses I've watched in Hugh Freeze's first year at Auburn. Oh, wait, um, you didn't hear? Uh, Hugh ran the offense. Oh, uh, that was another he favorite. That was in public. You knew that was coming. It's almost too predictable at this point. Yes, Hugh Freeze came out and made sure that he everyone knew they scored 48 points, and he was just magically, coincidentally, more involved in the offense. He just it's amazing. I didn't really realize that was a thing, and then now I've been focusing on it all year. It is just shameful, but – Honestly, I almost respect it how forward it is. Um, I was about to say it's like shameless. It's like come it's on, shameless. man. Like that's it's it's, it's like awesome. clockwork. But from an Arkansas standpoint, 
I read something one of those beat writers wrote, and I think it was more of a column, and I, I kind of agree. It's like, I, I don't know how that's recoverable. I don't know how you recover from a loss like that in front of a, you know, almost sold out crowd, 70 something thousand people, and you just throw a dud. Like, if, if it was on the fence, I, I don't know how Sam Pittman gets any goodwill back. I think today was probably the first time, or yesterday would be the first time I was like, yes, that is absolutely coming open, and I would be shocked if it wasn't. I wasn't nearly to that point yet before yesterday. That was bad. Um, no, it's, it's over there. Um, it's, it's completely over. They had, you know, your classic new coach syndrome balance last week against Florida. Um, however the hell that happened. Um, and now it's just a matter of time. It, it, it's, it, that's just, it, it is what it is. It, that is done. You can't have that showing after what is going on this season at Arkansas uh, what Auburn is, the state of that program, the amount of money and the potential that they have up there in Arkansas with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, which are their neighbors. You, you just can't be this far behind. And losing by 38 to that team is just frankly unacceptable. Um, so look, they'll be going into this market. I just see no way around it. it, it it's done there. What? What do they do? Where do you think they go? Who who would you look at? That's always a job to seem that has a much higher opinion of itself than where they actually sit. Um, yeah, I get that. I get that. I, I'm a I'm pretty bullish on the potential of Arkansas. Uh, they have some big advantages, being the only state, only program in that state, having the Walmart money, um, having a very loyal fan base, which is not nothing. Um. Their disadvantages are they really lack in-state talent except for this year, and they are about to get crushed with all their top prospects. A lot of them have decommitted or just not going to Arkansas, which is you just can't have whenever you have one of the rare years where you have actually elite players in that state. Um, but if I was them, I would go for Jeff Trailer at UTSA, who was on Arkansas staff with Chad Morris back in the day who is just really good. Arkansas has to recruit the state of Texas sufficiently or they will be nothing. Um, and he is as good as that as anybody being one of those, you know, lifer uh, Texas high school football coach guys. Uh, that would be your best case scenario, home run hire. Um, the, a lot of people keep talking about Jonathan Smith coming to the SEC from Oregon State. I love him. He's an Oregon State alum who's actually making pretty good money out there. There's obviously – concern on what the hell that program is in this new era of college football and that, you know, maybe they're just left for dead and it's, it's pointless to be there, but I don't see him going to Arkansas or Mississippi States or a and I, I don't see that. Um, and then, you know, my guy, if I had the opportunity to hire John, John Summerall, I'm, I'm doing it at anywhere. Um, I have concerns about what his offense would look like at an SEC level, but his recruiting and his defense would be elite. So I take a look there. He has doesn't really have a lot of ties in Arkansas, but when I was with him, we recruited Memphis, recruited Mississippi, recruited Alabama, recruited Louisiana, which is important in Arkansas. He he would he would be really good. I would I'd call him at any job in the SEC right now, or most jobs in the SEC right now. 
I don't pretend to know him at all. Um, I interviewed him a couple of times. I think I talked to him outside one try. He's very impressive. Uh, seems like a very sharp guy. I remember when he left Kentucky, even though he's going, I think, to the same position, paid him a ton more money, and I thought there was a reason for that. And then obviously he's crushed it there. Um, I think someone would be smart to hire him. I don't get the Jonathan Smith thing either. Um, I think Jeff Trailer, like you mentioned, would be awesome for Arkansas. I just, outside of that, I don't really have a great sense of like where that might go. I don't really know what their AD would do. I don't really know much about the dynamics. Like I could have told you last year, like probably two of the three candidates at Auburn and then that was going to turn into a shit show. I don't know if Arkansas is going to be on its P's and Q's and this will go well and they'll win the press conference or any of that, or is it's going to become a total clown show? I'm fascinated to find that out. For state. Very clearly that that's happening. My God, they, I mean, I know this is just kind of funny and I don't mean to like pick on them for it, but imagine losing to a team with a third string quarterback by 41 points and you wake up the next morning and their coach is fired. I know the and two things have nothing to do with one another, but what a rough visual. That's, oh, that has to happen. I mean, we've talked, I know we reached. Well, I said it was, uh, yeah, that's it's over. And man, it's, that's 2011 Houston nut vibes over there right now. That's, that's quitting. Um, I don't even really know what else to say about it. What do you do if they're them? Where Where do you go? I, I think John Sumrall would be an interesting choice, and I think potentially a pretty good one and a pain in the ass to Ole Miss. But what do you What, what do you think? Uh, he'd be my first call. Um, I don't know if he would take it. Um, I think it's a little silly to think that he wouldn't consider it, considering they could probably pay him for $5 million a year, and he's probably making less than two right now. Um, the biggest advantage – with, with John is how freaking good of a recruiter he is and that you would be able to deal with the lack of NIL for just how good he is at it. I've seen him fight with two hands tied behind his back with sanctions and almost land and, and sometimes still land elite players. He is just as good as it gets with that. Um, and I think it, in terms of a fit, which is not always the most important thing. I think he would fit Mississippi State. Um, I, he just was really, really good. I would not retread to Dan Mullen. Um, that would be a colossal mistake, in my opinion. Uh, this is a new age of college football. Um, you just – you have to be able to recruit. You have to be able to be a program manager. I think he has done – with that part of his career, he was done with it at Florida. You just can't, you, you won't be able to recreate what he had at Mississippi State back in that time uh, again. That would be a huge mistake. Um, some other names, I, I mean, I've seen some Chadwell. I mean, does that excite you? <laughs> it mean, wouldn't excite me. It would make some. I wouldn't, but I also don't necessarily mean that to also like I that that doesn't shape my opinion on whether I think it would be successful. It wouldn't excite me a ton, but it it would make some sense there. Um, kind of some yeah. blue collar mentality, if you want to call it that. He's the piss teal guy. Like I, I could see it. It would make some sense, but I, I don't know if that would get me all fired up. Yeah, the I guess what they're gonna their thought process will be we have to go hire a head coach. Um, because they just did the coordinator thing, and that's not going to work out. But there are some really good coordinators that I would consider. Um, Alex Atkins at OC at Florida State, I think he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, he's really good. He's been really good at every single step of his Florida State career. Um, there's not a lot of, like, Mississippi ties out there that are, like, head coaches right now. Um, you're obviously not hiring Will Hall, though he might beat your ass on Saturday if you don't play well. 
Um, I don't really know what they will do there, but that's absolutely done. They, they can't come back from this. It, that is as lifeless of a program he's ever seen. The quarterback Parsons is their that was their savior. He's absolutely not a dude. He's just not going to be their guy. Um, they have to make a change. So I don't know where they're going to go, but they've got some options. They're not. It's not the best job in the SEC. It, there's a world in which it's the second worst job but it's still an SEC job and like acting like they're not going to be able to hire a quality or competence or available coach is a little silly. A name that I just kind of randomly thought of is they were just talking about the three jobs that are open in general last night. And I don't know if it's fit for state or Arkansas or none of the above, but I think Jeffrey asked like who maybe the next pissed off pack 12 coach with that conference crumbling would be, or soon to be whatever conference Arizona is in. What about Jed fish? Well, they're, He's done a hell of a job, but he he's an Arizona guy. Uh, I believe he went to Arizona. I believe he's had relationships in Arizona. They're safe. They're going to the Big 12. Um, I I see no way, shape, and form where he would leave that place for Mississippi State. I I don't think that's I don't and that's not like digging on you or Jeffrey. I just don't see that at all. No, we were just spitballing names. I don't even think it had anything to do with the state job. We were just talking about kind of West Coast guys coming in. I'm just curious if those openings, if that would make any sense anywhere. No, I mean you could hire Jimbo, <laughs> national championship winning head coach. That would get everybody fired up. Yeah, I mean I'm just trying to think about guys that like I know that are around that are head coaches that I like what they're doing. Um, JG Kenny at Texas State has had a fantastic first season, but just I just don't see him going to Mississippi. Um, he's a Texas guy through and through. He's probably waiting for a different position. Um, there's just there's not that many amazing options out there. Um, you could steal a guy that's kind of you might have a high thought of that might be leaving somewhere else. Uh, maybe someone looking for escape, like a Neil Brown at Western West Virginia, who's had a pretty good year this year, who knows the area. So I don't know. It's both those jobs, Arkansas and Mississippi State, are very interesting in what their pool could be and what it might actually be. Talking about the New Year's Six and Ole Miss, a theme that might end up being a thorn in their side as far as the New Year's Six birth would be Missouri. They stomped Tennessee on Saturday, 36-7. to I thought Missouri would win this game. I didn't think Tennessee would show up as flat as they did, but um, Drinkwitz is having a hell of a year, and this is a good mm -hmm. football team that's been playing better defense. Another, I mean, Brady Cook's fine. He turns it over a little too much, but they got great receivers, great talent around him The the kid from Henderson State who set a bunch of D2 records then decided to go walk on at Missouri and is now just – he had 300 yards of all-purpose offense yesterday. They're just a really good football team. That was a very impressive win for Missouri, where in years past when they've gotten to the 7-8 win mark, it's like, okay, well, who did they beat and how did that look? This seems legitimate to me, and they are very good. No, they are good. They are officially good. And not only are they good, but they are recruiting really well as well. Um, now, they got the kid Wingo kid stolen right under their nose from Texas – it's kind of some of the things we've been talking about. You can have as much NIL as you want, but it might not matter in the end. Um, but, I mean, they just stomped Tennessee. And Tennessee has had weird road problems. That's the thing I've seen all day today, that they have not won on the road against real teams at all. Alabama this year, Florida this year, Missouri this year, Georgia last year, they do not shown up on the road. And I, I mean, Joe Milton's not that guy. He's absolutely not. Um, 
And I mean, I like what Hypo's doing at Tennessee. I think they actually have a pretty good defense. I just think Missouri's offense is just on fire right now. Um, that was a pretty lopsided, that was a bad look for Tennessee. And they're going to have a massive game against Georgia, but their hopes of the East are done. So they're kind of on the Ole Miss last year quit watch, I would say, over there. I don't know what their, you know, excitement for that Georgia game is going to be next week, you know, since it really means nothing uh, except for trying to be the number one team in the country. Uh, but look, Drinkwitz deserves a lot of credit. Uh, they are just simply a good team. He made a fantastic hire with that offensive coordinator, Kirby Moore's – or is it Kirby Moore? Yeah. Kellen Moore's, yeah, Kellen Moore's brother. That guy's a stud. Uh, I'd, I'd look at his ass for a head coaching spot at some places if they needed one. Um, they have just been really dynamic, and they get a lot of credits uh, in what they've been doing. That was really about it, storyline-wise. I mean, the Alabama-Kentucky game went about, like I thought, just a frustrating year. Talk about Jaden Daniels for a little bit? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that was a game. So that was one I missed because that was, uh, you know, at the same time I missed game. But my yeah. God, I mean, I saw some highlights and stuff this morning. Um, it's a shame that defense hasn't allowed them to have the potential season they maybe thought they would. He is He's unbelievable. I was texting my buddies, uh, of course, this will be the LSU homer, blah, blah, blah. So obviously a lot of my friends went to LSU and they were talking about the game and obviously it was going back and forth with Florida. And one of my buddies went to Georgia who had plenty of shit talk about with me after the game was like, man, if LSU's defense was average, like they would be a really good football team. And I responded, no, no, no. If LSU's defense was bad, they'd be a good football team. <laughs> they are terrible. They are terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, but Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback in the country. He's the best player in the country. He should absolutely be invited to New York and should be given real consideration for the Heisman. He was the first player ever to go for pass for 350 and run for 200. He set the SEC single uh, game record for total offensive production with over 600 yards by himself, I think, or something like 606 yards. Um, he He's just unbelievable. His development has been just outstanding from last year to this year. He was their best player last year too. Uh, and people didn't want to say it. And they were dog whistling for Nussmeyer for whatever reason. Um, and he's just been freaking awesome. And look, there's, there's, I don't really care if he wins it or not. Actually, that's not true. I have a pretty fat future on him to win the Heisman. <laughs> um, so I would love for him to do it just selfishly. Um, there's precedent with Tim Tebow and with Robert Griffin, the third and with Lamar Jackson, um, the Heisman has been down water or whatever the word is. It's been watered down to this stupid team award that has like really diluted what that trophy means. And if it goes to someone like freaking JJ McCarthy or, oh I mean, Bo Nix has been pretty damn good this season. He's the currently the favorite. I can't necessarily argue with that, but Jaden has as much of an argument as anybody in the country. He has been the reason that team is even going to win nine games this year. He's just been amazing. He has. And it's, I mean, the, the speed and the running, I mean, the 85 yard touchdown last night is just unbelievable. It just doesn't happen. There's not that many guys that have played college football that can absolutely have two 50 plus touchdown runs, just scampers, just we're completely outrunning a Florida defense twice and making them look like high schoolers. It's just, it's rare. I mean, he is really damn good. He is putting himself in a position to potentially make a decent amount of money being probably like a second round pick for a team that's pretty good that can bring him in, develop him. 
He's not as small as you think. He's probably like 6'3", but he's he's definitely slight, but he's tough as shit. You see it week in, week out. I just – I love that kid. He He's easy to cheer for. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, and I'm I'm curious to see kind of how this finishes out for Ole Miss, where they land bowl-wise, you know, kind of the health of the team over the last couple of games. So it's, uh, it's going to be a fascinating one. Now to wrap up, it is time for the fastest-growing segment on American soil. It is Soccer Corner. Looking at the EPL results from the last week, really just from today, um, you had Manchester City and Chelsea get in a good old-fashioned shootout. It was 4-4. What uh, what happened here? It's so funny when people talk about how boring soccer is, and there were people that were legitimately watching that Colts-Patriots game earlier today in Germany and not realizing that Chelsea and City scored eight combined goals in an absolute just – master i mean it was it was awesome i was watching it a little bit on the plane from back from atlanta to uh to houston and it was just a freaking awesome game um there was drama there was var there were penalties there were just holland scoring twice I and mean, it was just awesome it, it was as good as it gets it's why this this sport is just the can be the best sometimes um because the the, the big players show up every game it's just you never get games where it's like, oh, this guy just isn't playing well. Like, no, these guys just show up for all these big games, especially when the big six play. So that was a big point for Chelsea, probably a somewhat disappointing point considering how they played. But um, that's pretty big for their momentum. They're getting a little bit healthier. They're actually scoring some goals. The guy who scored two today, Cole Palmer, is a guy they bought from Man City. He's a 21-year-old they bought for like $60 million over the summer, and he's been fantastic for them. So they got a little – little rivalry there between that player, but uh pretty awesome game. It's hard to complain about a 4-4 just banger on a Sunday morning. We had Wolves beat Tottenham yesterday. That seems like oh, a, yeah. a bit of an upset there in a classic choke. Definitely a bit of an upset there. Uh, Tottenham's up 1-0 and Wolves score two goals in stoppage time uh, at home to beat Tottenham. They're really tough to play on the road. They have not been a great team this season by any means. Tottenham uh, – Played on Monday, I think. I can't remember when they played. Uh, maybe it was like Wednesday or something. And they had like four players get hurt. So they were definitely down pretty bad. Uh, but not a great result for them on the road. Was this just the week of upsets? You had uh, Bournemouth beat Saudi Castle uh, handedly as well. I mean, there's just upsets left and right going around here, but no manager sackings to back it up. Not yet, no. Um, Sheffield somehow got a draw with Brighton, so they're, I guess their manager is safe for now, though I think Brighton had a red card at some point in that game. Um, Aston Villa played well. Uh, I, Saudi Castle, they've had two weird results. They played uh, Dortmund uh, in the Champions League on Tuesday and were just non-competitive. Uh, it was just bizarre. I mean, they looked like they weren't even trying, and they just got completely outclassed. So they they've been real up and down this season. Um, and then you know, look at the, these United gets a one near one nil win over the worst team in the league. They are not doing well. They lost their Champions League game, and now they are tied for last in their group. Probably not getting out of it for this season. Everton playing better than they have been recently, gets a 3-2 win over Palace at home. They've kind of shown some life as of late. Uh, the team that we've talked about, like, of the big ones that may be going down, they're pretty firm in 14th place. Uh, it's looking pretty clear that the three that came up are going right back down. Um, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of controversy there at this point. 
Yeah, they're falling very, very behind. Is there anything yeah. that has changed your opinion about the top? No, not really. Um, Liverpool is very much in it. They have been healthier. They have been scoring goals. Luis Diaz's father was returned from the captors. Uh, so both parents. That's are good out news. Of, yeah, both out of the kidnapping. I don't think he played today. Uh, Arsenal is struggling to score goals against good teams. That's been a big issue for them. Uh, they are still in it very much so. Tottenham has got to get healthy. Uh, City is just still – they're still City. They're only one point up on Liverpool right now, but just stats-wise, record-wise, they're, they're going to be a tough, tough, tough out. This has been the fastest-growing segment on American soil. It is Soccer Corner. I appreciate the time, as always. Uh, we won't have a ton to talk about game-wise next week, but I'm sure there will be some further developments uh, regarding big-picture college football-wise. So we'll uh, we'll do that and then do a play-by-play breakdown of the Warhawks. How about that? Three-hour podcast. We'll, we'll so, do our uh, best. Yes. It should be fun. We'll catch you next <laughs> week, dude. All right. See ya. Okay, that's going to do it for our show today. A lot covered in that podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for sticking around and hanging out with us. Thanks for the uh, feedback on the old JoJo Herman podcast. I don't think anyone guessed it as I sub- at least fielded guesses for it on Wednesday, maybe it was. But awesome stuff. Thanks for the feedback on that. Thanks for listening to this podcast as always. I really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday.